Well, uh, this morning we are talking about the new year, bitter or better? <laughs> bitter or better? Now, did you know you choo- we choose our attitude? Oh, Jan's going to take the kids? All right. Wasn't quite sure. Bob, you can't go. I'm sorry. You can't go with Jan downstairs. You're too old. <laughs> you came here to get some sleep. You get woke up, huh? You know. Yeah, well, you know. Sometimes God answers prayer and sometimes he doesn't. <laughs> so today we are looking at the new year bitter or better and that we choose our attitudes. Most of the time we think that our attitude is based upon what happens. You know, if, uh, if you woke up this morning and I said, or somebody said to you, this is a good day, and you'd sit there and think, well, nothing has happened yet. How can I determine if it's a good or a bad day? And really, that's not how we determine good or bad days, by what happens. It, it, you know, it depends on our attitude as we approach our days, as we approach um, how that we're going to live and how that we're going to go about our, our daily living. One of the things I remember years ago, um, watching and listening to some of the men and women who had survived the Holocaust and survived the concentration camps. And, um, you know, how would you survive in such a setting as that, knowing that if you're sick or you can't perform or you can't do the duties, they're going to kill you. I mean, you know, and even, even walking around, you know, people could take your life. But you, how did they survive? Well, one individual spoke about how that he would not allow them to control his attitude. That they would try to break you, they would try to humiliate you, they would starve you, they would beat you, they would do all of these things and threaten you, but they could never, he would never allow them to control his attitude. And how that he was able to look at life and see something different that really wasn't there. And so whenever we think of those types of situations in which people are, you know, in, the, in the, the concentration camps and the millions of people who were killed and how that the people who did survive and lived for years in those camps and did survive, how did they make it? And it, most of them, the ones that were doing this interview and had talked about it, spoke about their attitude and how that they would not allow the guards or the people who were over them to control their attitude. Well, we learn to be happy, we learn to be joyful, we learn to be sad, we learn to be distressed. Events will happen, they will, ha- they will have an effect upon us. You know, you can't say that when something happens it won't, it won't affect me. It, it affects us. I mean, we, you know, we, we respond to situations. If you stick your finger in a light socket, <laughs> it's going to have an effect upon you. <laughs> if you take a, uh, I'm not telling you to do this, but if you take a, a metal object and stick it in a, a plug, you're, the, the electricity is going to have an effect upon you. So events will have an effect upon us, but events are not to control our attitude. Now, we also, and no one else is responsible for our attitude. I think, I think of it this way. We are responsible to people, you know, that we're not going to treat them ill, 
manneredly. We're not going to you know, do things we shouldn't do. So we're responsible to them. But we're not responsible for them. I'm not responsible for your happiness. <laughs> I'm not responsible for if you, you know, like if, if, for you, if you don't make it into the kingdom, uh, you know, and don't make it to heaven, you can't say, well, it's that preacher <laughs> or it's that person or it's this person, it's that event or this event. Well, there always are events, but we are still responsible for our actions and for our decisions. So um, we can get up in the morning and say, good morning, you good looking thing. <laughs> person, not thing, and girl, woman, man. Good morning, you good-looking. How many say that every morning? Yes, there we go. I got one taker, yeah. Well, why not? <laughs> well, we think, well, that would be prideful or that would be not, not right, you know. Well, we can wake up and look in the mirror and say, oh, my gosh, that's a terrible thing I see in the mirror. <laughs> what made me think of that? Um, this week we were... Uh, went to Wolf Lodge, Great Wolf Lodge, out in Cincinnati. And while we were there, it's an indoor water park. And uh, there, were, there were a number of special needs persons there. But the one, the one person, that, not a special needs, but the one person that I saw was a young girl, probably 15 years of age. She had to have been burnt over 80% of her body. I mean, she had no hands, just stumps for arms. Her face, her body, her back, her legs, all just scarred. Her, you know, her face was, you know, you can tell it was put together by plastic surgery. And all the surgeries that, that poor girl would have had to have gone through. But you know what? She was swimming in a public place, and she had a bathing suit on. And her scars did not keep her from enjoying the day. And in our lives, we look at our scars and we look at our problems and we look at things and we somehow come up with this victim mentality that I'm not good enough, I'm, I'm not this, I'm not that. And, you know, we, we somehow limit what we're going to do. Now, I'm sure that there was a mall <laughs> where this girl could have gone and kept her coat on and kept a, a, a hat on, and people may not have noticed if they hadn't seen her head on, face forward that she was badly scarred. But she was swimming. <laughs> and she was swimming with her family, and her mother was also scarred with burns, but not half as much as, as a child. So evidently there was something that happened that both of them were in a, in a bad fire, and this child... Um, she's now looked to be about 15, that uh, this was had to have been fighting for her life for many days. And then the numerous surgeries that she had to go through for plastic surgery and this, you know, taking grafts of skin from one area of her body to put on another area. I mean, she had to have gone through hundreds of surgeries. And so here she is, 15 years old, no hands, just stumps, they were burnt off and um, swimming, and a smile on her face, and she was enjoying the day. <laughs> so we look at our, our lives, and, and you see, we're making choices with our scars. We're making choices with our scars, because everyone has scars. Everyone has issues. Everyone has things that they have to live through and go through, and some of them are worse than others. 
And some of them are more tragic than others. And I, you know, in some ways I, always, I don't always go back to, but when I think of the concentration camps and how that those people lost everything and they, they got out of there with their own life and their, their families and parents or children were all, all just killed and destroyed as if they were pieces of, you know, paper to be burned up in a furnace. That, but they survived and they had to survive and they had to live with those scars not only their own emotional scars and physical scars, but the scars of what those happened to their families and their loved ones, and they had to go on. Well, you see, we make a choice. We make a choice every day to live. We make a choice to live and to choose an attitude, to choose a perspective. The story that I'm looking at for this one today is Naomi. Not Ruth, but Naomi. Now, uh, Naomi is in, of course, the book of Ruth, and Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law. But in, the, in, in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, Abimelech, okay, Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi, their two sons were Malon and Kilon. They were uh, Ephratites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. So these people are important because they're named and they were given a history, were given a setting, you know, of all the people who lived at that time and all the immigrants or the people who made the migration from Bethlehem to other countries. Um, they went there because there was a famine. You know, it's simpler, similar to how that we would go look for work. We would go look for a job. We would move to a different area. We'd move to a different community. Well, these people moved to a different country. You know, if we look at uh, some of our immigrants that come to the United States, you know, they come from all over because they think it's the land of opportunity. <laughs> and, you know, to them it is. I mean, a place of freedom is a place of opportunity and a place where they can uh, meet other people and travel and do all these things. It's a place of opportunity. So these men, they were important, but much like us, they moved to find work or they moved to, to make a living. Well, we make choices to stay or go, and verses 3 through 5, something happens. Elimelech, Elimelech, Elimelech whatever his name is, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, he dies. We don't know what happened, we know that he dies. And then Naomi's two sons, uh, Malon and Kilon, they, are, they were married to Orpha and to Ruth. And 10 years after their father's death, these two, these two guys are killed or they die. Now, we're not told exactly what happened, but some say that they were fighting, in, you know, they went to, to war and were in the army or in the military and they were killed in a battle. So, when our choices, you know, Ruth is in this place where they've made a choice. She's been here at least 10 years in this foreign country. And you look back at what their expectations were whenever they arrived there. This isn't what they expected. This isn't what they were planning. So, perplexed about what to do with herself and her two um, daughters-in-law, she decides that um, she needs to go back home. Well, see, 
our problem is we assess things, our assessments determine our attitudes towards the future. How we look at things determines how we look forward. You know, how we look back basically determines how we look forward. So if we have an attitude of looking backwards that says it was a disaster, the choices I made were wrong, and that no matter what I did or how I prayed, it just didn't turn out well, then we start looking the, towards the future and we use those same lenses to look into the future. We start looking for how things are going to go wrong and how things are not going to work, how things are, you know, it turned out bad here, so what are the chances, you know, it's going to turn out good tomorrow? So is yesterday's sorrows and yesterday's failures the perceived wrongs? Are they the beginning of tomorrow's successes? See, that doesn't compute in our logic. That yesterday's failures are the seeds for tomorrow's successes. Hmm. But the, the question is, or the, 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 probably the perspective is, we don't have the ability to put a final seal on yesterday. We can look at it and we can evaluate it, but as far as we know it, it doesn't look too good. But that doesn't mean it isn't good. It doesn't mean that it won't be to the good for our future. So, it's when we start looking at things from the eyes of faith and saying, God, I don't understand what happened, but I trust you. So here's this girl with the, the sorrows, I mean, with the scars. You know, what's, what's in the future for her? If she looks back and she sees the nightmare of that whatever happened, uh, then, you know, she could live with nightmares towards the future. But you know what? She lived. <laughs> and the people in the concentration camp, they lived. And whenever we are alive, we have opportunities. And whenever we are alive, we have a future. If we're not standing at the gates of heaven, you're still living. <laughs> okay? We're still alive. So if we're still alive, that means that God has a future. God has a plan for us. Now, will, will things go wrong in our future? Yes. Will bad things happen? Yes. Well, there will be stupid things that we do <laughs> and perhaps stupid or intentional things that others do that will hurt us. But, you see, I, I, I try to maintain the attitude that God is the judge, not me. And if people intentionally and willfully lie to me to cheat me, then that's God's problem, not mine. I have to deal with it in a healing way. If somebody is dealing with me and they are lying and they're trying to hurt me and they're trying to destroy me, I have to recognize it. I have to be as wise as a serpent but as harmless as a dove. So I have to be wise in what I do, so that's why I pray for the wisdom of God. All of us, we need to pray that God would give us his words and his thoughts and his attitude about who we are as a person. Because when we come up with an attitude, we generally look at, we generally look at perspectives of things that happened and determine success or failure. You see, 
it, that do, life doesn't work that way. You see, for, for us as Christians, our attitude is determined by our faith in God. See, our attitude is determined by God's word and God's promises. So no matter what has happened in the past, God has promised that he will be with me in the future. God will be with me in the future. God will be with me in the present. That nothing will ever be able to separate me from the love of God. Neither life, nor death, nor principalities, nor powers, things present, things past, or future, nothing. So whenever we have that security of knowing Christ, we are on the rock, Jesus Christ, and nothing can cause us to fail. So that's our attitude. That's our perspective. We look at things that happen. Some are good, some are bad, some are terrible. doesn't matter. Our perspective remains the same. We're involved in this process of living, and we've got this problem, we've got that problem. It's cold out, there's snow, there's hail, there's floods, there's hurricanes, there's earthquakes. Our perspective is always that I'm safe in the hands of God. Wherever something has happened, God has promised that he has our future he has a future for us, Jeremiah 29, 11. With Naomi, she's in a foreign land. She's a widow. Her, her daughter-in-laws are widows. And so you've got three widows trying to survive, and there's no pension. <laughs> there's nothing. You know, the only thing left for a widow is to beg, to be a beggar and to be dependent upon other people's hands out, handouts. That's just what the society was about. Women were not important. Sorry, ladies, but back then, Christianity changed the whole perspective of women. You know, if it wasn't for Christianity, you know, people would still be in the dark ages as far as se segregating men and women. But that's a whole different story. <laughs> Some people think the church is segregated. It, no, church is what opened the door for people for equality. But anyhow, um, so... I've known, so what does Naomi decide to do? She decides that she needs to go back home. Now, if you are, uh, you know, as a grief counselor, therapist, whatever I've been called, I've been called many things, but, uh, but uh, you know, you generally ha try to help people, well, you know, you need to stay where you're at for about a year, you know, so that you don't, um, uh, you know, living in a house, being in a place, and someone has died, it's important that you deal with all the losses and things that are in that place because they remind you and you have pain, you have sorrow, and those are good things. Sometimes the pain will be a place where we find comfort, all right? But some people get up and move away, you know, and they move someplace else. Now, it's not wrong to move and it's not wrong to stay. It's purely an individual choice. My mom, I remember I told her, after my dad died, I says, Mom, well, you know, you should stay here for at least a year. She says, I'm moving away now. <laughs> I'm going to the high rise. Well, Mom, you should actually, I'm not staying here. <laughs> you know, she was not staying, you know. She did not listen to the wisdom of her son. <laughs> and she was right. She moved within, I think, six weeks, sold the place they were living and moved into high rise and the best thing she ever did. You know, so... There are guidelines, but individual choices are our choices, and we, do, we need to do what is right for us. Well, to Naomi, she wants to go back, back home, back to Bethlehem. 
So she moves, but um, she moves back to her home, and we find that on the journey, she tells her two daughter-in-laws, you know, go back, but Ruth says, no, where you go, I will go, and, the, the, and she has that whole thing, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. Hmm. So this is where Naomi, even though she didn't know it, was having a great impact on her daughter-in-law, Ruth, by the way she believed. Even though she calls herself Mara, Ruth chapter 1, verse 20, don't call me Naomi, she responds. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. So pleasant one says, don't call me pleasant one, call me bitter one. Okay? And in this verse, in these two verses, um, she, she says, The Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Who do you think she's blaming for this? <laughs> Who is she pointing the finger at? God. God did this to me. Now, sometimes when things that we really don't understand go wrong, we blame God. And the the point is, things will happen that we don't understand. God, I don't understand, but I trust you. That was Job. And Job is a very unique individual. And most of the time, we are like Naomi. God, you, we did what we thought was right. We left the area. We survived. We went where there was food, and we lived, and now my sons are dead, and my husband is dead, and I'm a beggar, and I'm very bitter. I am uh, angry. I am hurt. I am resentful. This is, these are the, the, what bitter means. Um, because of one's bad experiences or a sense of unjust treatment, the synonyms are resentful, embittered, um, aggrieved, begrudged, spiteful, ill-disposed, sullen, sour, uh, peevish, with a chip on one shoulder, and it ends up saying a bitter woman. <laughs> That's what's in the dictionary, a bitter woman. It doesn't say a bitter man, it says bitter woman. It's like, I don't understand how I come up with that, but. So Naomi has... She comes, and one thing to remember, in case I forget, she called herself Mara. God never changed her name. She was always Naomi. She was always the sweet one, the pleasant one. Even though she was bitter, God knew that this was just something that she had to go through. He did not become upset with her bitterness. He he used, he allowed these situations to come through her life in which they would lead her to a different place. See, that's why we can never, if we are not standing in heaven, then we're still alive and we have a responsibility to go on. Now, it doesn't mean we don't grieve and we don't have problems and we don't make, cho- you know, that we have to go through the grief and the sorrow and all that. That's, that's, we have to go forward. Life's in front of us. Our life is in front of us, not behind us. The new year is coming. Will it be better or will it be bitter? 
If, the la- if we are bitter with all the disappointments and discouragements and all the bad things that have happened, our future will be bitter. So, we determine success or failure. We determine outcomes by our attitudes. You can almost tell the outcome of a problem or a situation by the attitude of the person going in. So, if we are not standing in heaven, we are standing here and we're still alive. How many are still alive? Okay, the rest of you? Don't move after service and we'll take care of you. Okay, so. (laughs) Psalm 116.15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saint. God does not look at death the way we do. God sees death as a coming home. We see death as a separation. And rightfully so. We do not grieve as those who have no hope. So we're not prepared for it because we have known nothing but life. But that's a different story. Psalm 56.8. You keep track of my sorrows. You have collected my tears in the bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Now, God does not say, don't be sorrowful. Doesn't say, we see, we, are, we grieve, we sorrow, but we always sorrow with the perspective of hope. There's hope in the future. Things are going to be, things are going to change. God, do you know how important we are to God? He, can't, he cares so much about every detail of our life He cares about your thoughts, your feelings, and your emotions. In fact, what you are going through is so important to him that he records every sorrow and collects the tears you've shed. You see, because we are sorrowful, we're not abandoned. We are gaining perspective. We are gaining truth. We're gaining an understanding of life. But there is a moment when a decision for Naomi changed everything. Ruth chapter 2, verse 2. One day, Ruth the Moabite asked Naomi, let me go into the harvest field to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. You see, it was the law in that time period that the reapers were to allow... Yeah, they, wouldn't, they weren't just to glean the field and just leave it totally bare. They were to leave stalks of grain so that the widows and those who were poor could come and pick up the, pick up the, the remaining. So Ruth asked Naomi, can I go do this? Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. That is the changing statement. That is the fulcrum where, where life for Naomi and Ruth changed. You see, in every grieving process, in every place of our life, in every decision we have, sometimes the most major decisions are based upon the need that we have in the moment. And they needed to eat. And they were not, Naomi um, was not going to allow her bitterness to cause her daughter-in-law and herself to die. You see, some people become so bitter they're dead on the inside. And God doesn't want us to be bitter. He wants us to be better. 
And our life is so important, God, the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. God is going to take, God is going to receive us into his hands and take us home, receive us to our heavenly home. I don't like the word take. God does not take us to heaven. You see, take, it always has the connotation of the body snatchers, you know. We're just walking along and suddenly God zap takes us, you know, right out of, you know, we're gone. Where'd they go? Where'd they go? God took them, (laughs) you know. God doesn't take us, he receives us. So, Naomi saw beyond her bitterness to the need of her everyday life and helping those around her. You see, God has placed Ruth, the Ruth person in our lives, to help us move beyond ourself and beyond our sorrow, beyond our pain. So bitterness may come, but bitterness does not have to stay. Decisions made from dispositions of spite and anger will only increase the pain and further the time of despair. But the attitude, our attitude is determined by our faith. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do this. The steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. God will never leave me nor forsake me. God has a plan for my life. You see this young girl who was scarred. I mean, I mean, she was horribly scarred. Her face, her arms, her back. I mean, she was fortunate to live. But you see, her scars did not keep her in her room. It didn't keep her in a heavy coat in a mall. It, she allowed her scars to be shown as she went out to swim and enjoy her life probably before her accident, she enjoyed swimming. And here she was again. And you see, we cannot allow the anger or the hurt of other people to determine our attitude about where we're at and where we're going. Well, for Naomi, it changed whenever she saw, she allowed Ruth to go and pick up the grain. And allowing people to to be supportive of people who are around us. (laughs) To be supportive of the people who are there to help us is what challenges our faith to believe that God is still there with us or how that we are there with other people to encourage them. So Boaz, this is in chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife And when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, remember what Naomi told the women of the town? Don't call me Naomi, call me bitter. And the women of the town come back and says, Naomi, sweet one, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer to your family. (laughs) Praise God for the redeemer of your family. See, in our lives, we're praising God for that which is coming, how God is going to bless us and enable us to become what he wants us to be. May this child be famous in Israel. (laughs) May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. No longer is she a widow. She has a grandson (laughs) who would keep her She doesn't have to worry again. She's got a pension. (laughs) She's got a boy. (laughs) Just a little thing there. 
For the son, your daughter, for he is the son, your daughter-in-law, who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Look for the good in your life. Look for the people who want to help you. Naomi, verse 16. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighborhood women said, now at last Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. You see, in our lives, we never know the end until we get to heaven. But in the process, God's word has to determine our attitude. And our attitude is based upon the promise, not upon what happens. Because something happens doesn't mean that it's wrong. It's not what I wanted but it's not wrong because God's not over yet. And God is in the process of taking us where he wants us to be. So we must believe that God has our future in hand. We must believe that God has a plan for our lives. We must believe that he is going to take everything that has happened in our life in the past and he's going to fit it together for good as we look forward to our future. Because when our future is complete, we will look back from heaven and say, Wow, that was good. <laughs> wow, that was good. So, wow, that was good. <laughs> so as we then look to the future, we are to say, wow, that looks good. Amen? Amen? You don't sound too convincing. I like this. <laughs> Amen. Let's all stand, shall we? Yeah. So the new year is a year of blessing. It is a blessing. It is a, play, it is a year of grace. It is a, it is a year of favor. When God is look, going to look favorably upon us, just as with Mary, you have found favor with God. Well, we, and favor is another word. Grace is another word for favor. We have found the grace, the favor, the mercy of God in our life. And with that, we look forward to the future. My, that looks good. Look to the past. That looks good. <laughs> because that's our faith. It's not over yet. We're still in the process of becoming. Amen? So, God, it looks good. <laughs> From here, it looks good. Can we say that? God, it looks good? God, it looks good from here. Amen? Dismissed. <laughs>